Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 19 meter as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF hit by divisions ahead of elections. And South African protesters say Morocco should stop its occupation of Western Sahara. In economics news, South African Airways to get $400 million capital injection. And in sports news, Luvo Magnonia ready to defend his long jump title. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. United Ulama Council of South Africa, Yusuf Patel, says people should not panic, adding that they should rather let law enforcement officers conduct their investigations. We condemn the senseless killing of individuals and the desecration of the place of worship. At this stage, we do not know the motive behind the violence, but it would be grossly irresponsible to assume that this is some kind of sectarian violence within the community. Many people naturally assume that this is some kind of sectarian violence and that is going to spiral out of control until we don't know the cause and the reason behind what has happened. uh, We should not create undue panic. The United Nations have been warned that its credibility could be jeopardized if UNAIDS Executive Director Michelle Sedibe does not resign. A sexual harassment scandal has rocked the world body. The UN's official, Martina Brostrom, has accused UN Assistant Secretary General Dr. Louise Lorez of sexually assaulting her in 2015. Lorez has denied this and has since resigned. Editor-in-Chief of Medical Journal Lancet, Richard Horton, elaborates. It's actually a credibility issue, not just for UNAIDS. But it seems to me that unless the executive director suspends himself, the credibility of the organization and indeed the entire UN system will be placed in jeopardy. I find it very regretful to conclude that. Authorities in Nigeria say they are introducing emergency measures, including screening visitors from neighboring countries. This after the Democratic Republic of Congo reported a fresh outbreak of Ebola. The latest Ebola outbreak has killed 17 people so far. Doctors in the DRC say five more cases of the disease have been detected in northwest of the country. Two of the affected are caregivers at the hospital in Bikoro, where the Ebola outbreak has been concentrated. And finally, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Iran crossed a red line and that his country responded appropriately to Iranian missile strikes. 
The Israeli military says its overnight airstrikes on Syria were in response to missiles fired at its military posts in the Golan Heights by Iran's Revolutionary Guard operating in Syria. The raids, which reportedly killed 23 fighters, were one of the largest Israeli military operations in recent years and the biggest such assault on Iranian targets. The incident comes after weeks of rising tensions and follows U.S. President Donald Trump's decision to withdraw from a key 2015 Iran nuclear deal, a move Israel had long advocated. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Please note these changes to our frequencies. Our listeners in Eastern Central Africa can now catch us on 6145 kHz on the 49 meter band between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. Central African time. And in West Africa, you can now tune in on double one double eight five kilohertz on the 31 meter band that's between 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock p.m. Central African time. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the African perspective. Let us all unite and celebrate together. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. For the people of South Africa and the world, This is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apartheid. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholisatha Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Let us make Africa the tree of For the first time in the history of Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF, harmonized elections in July would be held while the party is divided. A group of ZANU-PF members calling themselves National ZANU-PF Aggrieved Voters Association said if infiltrators are not rooted out, most members might vote for the MDC Alliance leader, Nelson Chamisa. Former President Robert Mugabe's wife, Grace, led a G40 faction, which the association is accusing of meddling with the internal selection process in ZANU-PF. Simon Muchema has more from Harare. At a time when Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF appears to be bubbling with confidence of winning the forthcoming polls in July, for the first time the party is deeply divided. The last primary polls held to select party candidates created a lot of tension and infighting such that some are threatening to vote for the opposition. Anomalies were cited in the just-held primary elections in which ministers and party heavyweights lost to youths. 
The party leader, Emerson Mnanga Gwa, warned the party would not protect any candidate, but according to a newly formed National ZANU-PF Agreed Voters Association, the primaries were marred with serious irregularities. Vote buying is alleged, but Mnanga Gwa and the party leaders ignored that and ordered a rerun of primary elections in certain constituencies. Meanwhile, President of the National ZANU-PF Aggrieved Voters Association warned the party would lose elections to MDC Alliance leader Nelson Chamisa. We as Voters Association of Zimbabwe, ZANU-PF, um, after the recent uh, primary elections which were held by ZANU-PF, we have received the complaints from different constituencies. So it has come to our attention now that we need provincial leaders and our leaders and the president himself to respond to this as a matter of agents. We have realized that we are going to general election uh, divided. We have never experienced this uh, since we were born, since we knew ZANU-PF. Allegations of factionalism in ZANU-PF started in 2004 when the then Media and Information Minister Professor Jonathan Moyo held a Cholocho declaration against Robert Mugabe. This gave birth to a faction led by Joyce Mujuru called Gamatox, whose members were expelled in 2014. In 2017, two factions, G40 and Lacoste, fought each other until Operation Restore Legacy that forced Mugabe to resign. Despite all that, ZANU-PF would always unite against a common enemy, but this year the situation has changed, Austin Chindeka said. We once came in here and we, we warned them before they announced the debt that we are having problems. Few problems were solved, but 95% are not yet solved. So we need the chairman of the province and the, uh, the hierarchy of ZANPF to respond to this before rerun. And some of the constituents, which were called rerun, it's not, it's not a rerun because some people never voted. Registers were not used. Um, I'll start with Urungwe uh, West constituency. Urungwe uh, West constituency we received this complaint. On this date, I shall give you the notes, uh, the, uh, the elections were cancelled. There is a letter here, but elections were, were, were held after it was cancelled. According to the association, the primary elections exposed ZANU-PF as most voters were bribed to vote for or against certain candidates. This, according to some members, was the work of the ousted G40 led by the then First Lady Grace Mugabe. We don't want people who are being bought by money. And we are warning Comrade Ziambi, if he still wants the job, we as voters, we have millions of people who are grieved at the moment. He must come to order. We are only giving him 12 hours to respond to this. For Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. South African watchdog group Afri Forum, together with Freedom Under Law and main opposition party, the DA, want the High Court in Pretoria to declare as unlawful the granting of diplomatic immunity to Grace Mugabe. They argued the decision prevented her from prosecution for assault. They submitted that the court review the diplomatic immunity granted to spouse of the former Zimbabwe's president, Robert Mugabe. Tracy Bungard reports. The applicants, among them the Gender Commission for Equality, wants the court to analyse and review as well as ultimately set aside the diplomatic immunity the South African government granted to Grace Mugabe. 
They argued the spouse of former Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe was granted special and unlawful treatment at the expense of the victim. Sharita Samuel is from the Legal Resources Centre that represents the Gender Commission in the matter. At the centre of this matter is women, a woman that was assaulted by a foreign and powerful politician. And whether our country, our state, which has the responsibility in terms of our constitution to protect women and to implement programs that prevent violence against women, did something in such a public manner that contradicted that. Both the DA and AFRI Forum argued the granting of diplomatic immunity to Grace Mugabe was inconsistent with the South African constitution. They told the court Mugabe's immunity ceased immediately after her husband vacated office late last year. AfriForum's legal representative, Khadi Nell, explains why this matter should be pursued. Our case is based on the following. We say that the granting of diplomatic immunity was an afterthought. It was given afterwards, and that served as a shelter against prosecution. We believe that there should be prosecution, should be equality before the law, and no selective prosecutions. We base our case on two aspects. Firstly, the nature of the crime the nature is such that diplomatic immunity cannot protect the accused against prosecution. That's firstly. And secondly, we say it was an afterthought that the purpose of the visit did not qualify for diplomatic immunity. Advocate Hilton Epstein for the state, in particular the Ministry of International Relations, remains adamant that the government's decision in granting Mugabe immunity was in line with the law. He argued what the applicants seek to do may cause unnecessary confusion. A decision that the applicants ask your lordship to make would mean that every head of state who comes here, whether it's Angela Merkel, the husband, whether it's Theresa May, whether it's uh, King Maswati who comes here with one of his wives, doesn't matter. They would now need to get special immunity given beforehand, before they could travel. It is alleged that Mugabe assaulted 20-year-old Gabrielle Engels with an electrical cord in the presence of her two sons at a Johannesburg hotel last year. Gabrielle's mother, Derby Engels, who attended the proceedings with her daughter, wants Mugabe to pay for what she has done. I wanted to pay for what she did to my daughter because it was unprovoked. The attack was unprovoked. My daughter didn't do anything wrong to be beat to be beaten the way that she was. So I want Grace to pay for what she did. She must have a day in court. If the court decides that jail time is a sentence, so be it. The applicants argued, should the court rule in their favour, that might lead to Mugabe standing trial for assaulting a Johannesburg catwalk model, Gabrielle, in August last year. They also want the court to rule on whether spousal immunity is part of customary international law. The arguments continue. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. And that report by Tracy Bumgard in Johannesburg. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
South African opposition party, the Economic Freedom Fighters, have vowed to use its presence in the Pan-African Parliament to push for reforms on the continent. This includes an end to undemocratic rule and the restoration of human dignity throughout the continent. EFF leader Julius Malema was sworn in as a member of the Pan-African Parliament at the sixth session in Midrand on Monday. The party staged a picket outside the Morocco embassy in Pretoria on Thursday as part of its bid to exert pressure on the capital Rabat to end its occupation of Western Sahara. Amos Pajo reports. They were so useless they even applied for membership to the European Union. They see themselves more as whites and Europeans than as Africans. EFF Secretary General Godrich Kadi did not mince his words on the party's plans to push for democratic reforms on the African continent. He described the continued occupation of Western Sahara by Morocco as an injustice that the party will not tolerate. Here next to us we have got a beast and a monster who believes that you must not be a neighbor. They do not believe in anything peaceful with their neighbors. They are killing the people of Western Sahara just like as Israel is killing the people of Palestine. We must treat the Moroccan government as nothing but an apartheid state. We must treat the Moroccan government as nothing but a state not different from the state of Israel. We must treat the state of Morocco as nothing but a bunch of, of, of colonialists. People who believe in holding others' ransom and ruling over them against their own will. EFF leader Julius Malema was built to address hundreds of supporters at the embassy, but sent an apology to deal with what Gadi described as pressing matters affecting the continent at the Pan-African Parliament. He says Malema is already hard at work lobbying members not to support the re-election of Rojan Gondodang as PAP president. Wants to continue staying at Michelangelo at Sentin City and we say he must go and stay in the house provided by the government in Waterkloof. He is very corrupt. For all the years he has served as a Pan-Africanist Parliament President, he has not tabled a single report on the financial management of that Parliament. The South African government is spending a lot of money in hosting that Parliament. And our people of South Africa are not employed in that pan-Africanist parliament. Those employed there, they are being paid peanuts compared to people who are from Swaziland, Lesotho, Botswana, and all other African states. Gadi has also lashed out at the African Union for readmitting Morocco as a member. The heads of states of Africa who are there in that African Union, they are so useless, they themselves. They allowed Morocco to walk in and become a member of AU, an organization they showed the middle finger in 1984, thinking that the whites will accept them in in, in Copenhagen. Now they want to sit in the Pan-Africanist Parliament. Our president and commander-in-chief Julius Malema is there. We are going to expel them from the Pan-Africanist Parliament. We are going to say to the Pan-Africanist Parliament, we cannot be, South Africa cannot host a Pan-Africanist Parliament who has got colonizers inside it, who have got dictators inside it. Swaziland must pass up. 
we will still come for them. The EFF has vowed to cut diplomatic ties with all countries that are entangled in undemocratic practices throughout the continent. This is if it takes over the administration of South Africa after next year's general elections. I'm Amos Power in Pretoria. Meanwhile, EFF leader Julius Malema says the party will challenge the appointment of the acting premier in South Africa's northwest province. Malema spoke to the media on a range of issues, including land expropriation without compensation, the Iran deal and the Pan-African parliament. Busi Chimombe was there. The EFF unequivocally rejects the appointment of acting premier Wendy Nelson in the northwest. In backtracking on an earlier decision to resign, Suprema Humapilo instead announced that he would take a leave of absence and appointed Nelson, the finance MEC, to act for him. The EFF, however, is having none of it. The Premier says, and the ANC, therefore appointed an acting Premier. It's unconstitutional, by the way. You can't do that. And we're going to write them a letter today to tell them that if they don't remove that, we're going to make an agent application to court. Because remember that you can only appoint acting premier if the premier is out of the country or the premier is not in a position to exercise his powers as a premier. So the freedom is there to exercise his powers. He's not oversee, he's around. And as parliament prepares to hold hearings on the land question, the party is gearing up to present its submission. The National Assembly in February adopted a motion led by the EFF for a constitutional review allowing for the expropriation of land without compensation and refer the matter to a joint constitutional review committee to review section 25 of the constitution enabling the state to expropriate land in the public interest without compensation. The committee has so far received 140,000 submissions that it will start to sift through. Land is going to be expropriated without compensation whether you like it or not, whether capital, white monopoly capital likes it or not, land is going to be expropriated without compensation. And we are calling upon South Africans to give ANC 40% in uh, 2019 elections so that they can need us. And in needing us, the condition will be the amendment of the constitution. You know we don't play when it comes to conditions. Malema also defended EFF National Chairperson Talimpofu for agreeing to represent suspended SARS boss Tom Moyane in court. Moyane is challenging the disciplinary inquiry established by President Cyril Ramaphosa, which is to probe alleged violations by Moyane of his duties, including breaching tax and VAT legislation by allegedly influencing officials to pay Gupta-connected Oak Bay investments VAT refunds through a third party. The first question they ask Mpofi is, are you available to take a case? He says, no, let me look at my things. Then he says, I'm available. But no, there is a client here called Moyan. <laughs> he can't say, I, I am no longer available. Because they will report him to the bar council. In the same way, we didn't agree with him to represent Gareth Cliff. It's his uh, professional duty. Turning to international issues, a strong reaction to the U.S. decision to pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. Earlier this week, President Donald Trump rejected the deal as a bad one and accused Iran of cheating on terms agreed with the international community. When they take such a posture, they actually are taking an attitude which will put the world at risk. So we have to prepare ourselves as a country 
for the West. And Malema issued a stern warning to the Pan-African Parliament President, Roger Kondondang, who is seeking re-election, even though the constitutional legislature has failed to present a report on its finances. Malema earlier this week was sworn in as an MP of the African legislature. That report by Busi Chimombe in Johannesburg. If you're interested in a real-life story of friendship, then join Channel Africa for a book reading of 65 Years of Friendship, written by George Bezos about his relationship with African icon Nelson Mandela. From Monday to Thursday at 2200 Central African Time and during the weekend on Saturday and Sunday at 800 hours Central African Time. Join us for 65 Years of Friendship, a real-life drama. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The motive for the attack at a mosque in a tower north of South Africa's city of Durban remains unknown. Three unknown men allegedly stormed into the mosque and attacked the worshippers yesterday after the mid-afternoon prayer. Police in Guazul-Natal province are investigating two counts of attempted murder, murder and arson. No one has been arrested. Rachel Vardy reports. What was supposed to be a house of prayer is now a crime scene. The victims were allegedly attacked with knives and had their throats slit. Those who arrived first at the scene say they found two victims already lying in a pool of blood outside the mosque. Reaction Unit South Africa spokesperson Prem Balram. On arrival at the scene, we found two uh, people outside the mosque with the throats that they were bleeding profusely and paramedics were called to the scene to attend to them. We then uh, noticed a uh, fire uh, inside the mosque and reaction officers attempted to, uh, to extinguish the flames. Uh, a third victim jumped off the second floor. He also had his throat slit. They were treated on scene and transported to the local hospitals. Uh, one person has uh, passed on. Um, the motive for the attack has not been established and no valuables were taken from the hospital. One of the first people on scene described it as a war zone with blood everywhere. There were, there were, there were three guys that came into the mosque, stabbed the Mulana multiple times on his chest. They stabbed the Muazzin, the guy who gives the azan, and his, around about his pelvis. His intestines are actually popped out. And they stabbed one of my very, very good friends, Abbas Isuk, who has just passed away. And they slit his throat. They burned the mosque. They burned the library. I have nothing else to say. I don't know what what the intentions were, but it wasn't a robbery. Well, the forensics are there right now, and they've cordoned off the area, as you can see, and uh, they're obviously trying to find clues. They they did find a knife that was used. Uh, it doesn't belong to the mosque. It doesn't look like one of our kitchen knives. What's that? Like a, like, a, like a war scene, you know. There was just blood all over the place. Neighbors around the mosque also express shock. They say they do not feel safe anymore. Please, like the Ottawa community has to like literally sleep with their one eye open because no one feels safe anymore. It's like we all have to just look over our shoulders and keep an eye out for like every everything. Not safe. The area not safe. You can see what's happening. Today something so big like this happened here. I don't know what to say. Seriously, every day is getting worse. It's very, very sad. It's painful to hear that someone we know 
close-knit uh, community. Everybody knows everyone here. Everyone gets on very well. The owner of the mosque, Sidat, is very closely linked with all of us here. He helps the community here. He feeds the poor. He does a lot, a lot. I know that every Saturday there's people sitting outside the mosque and getting food parcels and everything from them. I'm really uh, devastated to hear that something like this has happened here in Ottawa because this is such a you know close-knit place and nothing can happen. Police in KwaZulu-Natal are now investigating two counts of attempted murder, murder and arson. Police also found a knife believed to be one of the weapons used in the attack. KwaZulu-Natal police spokesperson... Mobile Guala. Three worshippers were inside the mosque when three unknown suspects entered. They then stabbed the three worshippers that were inside and they were taken to hospital uh, for medical attention. The motive for the attack is still unknown at this stage and one of the uh, victims uh, later died in the hospital. And uh, there are certain rooms that were also set alight uh, at the mosque. We are investigating uh, two counts of attempted murder, murder as well as arson. There were rooms that were they set a light like the library, the kitchen, and the other uh, prayer room. Police are appealing to community members to assist with information that can lead to the arrest of the three suspects. For SABC Radio, I'm Rachel Vardy in Ottawa, near Redlam, north of Durban. It's 8.30 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta and his Djibouti counterpart, Ishmael Omar Gela, have vowed to continue safeguarding peace and stability in the Horn of Africa region, specifically in Somalia. The United Nations has warned that 400,000 starving children in the Kasai region of the Democratic Republic of Congo, which descended into violence in 2016, need immediate help to prevent them from dying. And civil rights organization AFRI Forum's application against the South African government's decision to grant diplomatic immunity to Zimbabwe's former First Lady Grace Mugabe will continue in the High Court this morning. Those are the stories making headlines. The Verulam Magistrates Court in South Africa's Guazul-Natal province has denied bail for two of the accused in the allegedly ISIS-linked murder of a British couple in February. Multiculturalists Rachel and Rodney Saunders were kidnapped, robbed and murdered near the Ongoye Forest near Mtunzini on the Guazul-Natal north coast. Magistrate Irfan Khan said in his ruling that given the evidence against Safi Dean Del Vecchio and his wife Fatima Patel, he believes it has become likely that they would try to flee. Dries Libenberg reports. Safi Dean Del Vecchio and his wife Fatima Patel sat stony-faced in the dock in the Verulam Magistrates Court as their legal team and the state presented their closing arguments in their bail application. They started whispering to each other and smiling again when it became clear that Magistrate Irfan Khalil is going to deny them bail. After weighing up all the evidence, Magistrate Khalil said he believes them to be a flight risk. 
The association or link of both applicants to ISIL or ISIS is not without merit. There is indeed a high degree of violence implicit in the charges against uh, both applicants. I am satisfied that there is uh, strong prima facie evidence against both the applicants. Together with this goes the heightened temptation to flee because of the severity of the possible penalties. Calvecchio and Patel denied any involvement in the kidnapping and murder of Rachel and Rodney Saunders in February. They also deny any involvement with any terror organization. Magistrate Khalil summed up their version that they are being framed. Both applicants deny that any of the incriminatory WhatsApp or Telegram chats involved them. They contend that the various messages were placed on the various devices by Bazooka in order to falsely implicate them. The applicants believe that Bazooka may have been an appointed agent to establish evidence against the both of them. The state, however, stacked up the evidence against them. State advocate Adele Barnard has argued that there are circumstantial evidence that Patel may have been involved in an effort to recruit two South African teenage girls to run away to Syria and become suicide bombers in 2015. The court has heard that bomb-making manuals, as well as messages telling other people how to make a bomb, was found on cell phones seized at the couple's home. On top of that, the police seized a cell phone that was allegedly rigged to detonate a bomb. Hawks member A.J. Lachman said in a sworn affidavit, ISIS supports a policy of lone jihadists waging a financial war. In his summation, Magistrate Khalil referred to a cell phone message Dalvecchio sent to an unknown person. To this end, applicant 2, it is alleged, confirmed in a telegram chat with an unknown person. I quote, I only have one man and lioness so we can only try small stuff, unquote. On the 10th of February, Dalvecchio, however, allegedly sent a cell phone message that he has spotted a possible target. It is alleged that on 10 February 2018, applicant 2 mentioned to applicant 1 and accused 4 that there is an elderly couple in the forest that is a good hunt and that they had equipment. Later, applicant 2 confirmed that he has the target. The court has heard that Dalvecchio and Patel are being linked to the theft of more than 700,000 rand from Rachel Saunders' bank account through video footage, analysis of cell phones and the victim's bank statements. Barnard has told the court that it is not necessary for the state to prove at this stage that the kidnapping and murder of Rachel and Rodney Saunders was in support of ISIS. Delvecchio and Patel's legal team withdrew from the case at the end of the bail application since they were only instructed to represent the couple in this respect. The couple will appear in court again on Friday to apply for legal aid. The state has indicated that there are extensive investigations still to be done that involves mutual legal assistance from two countries where people whom the accused had contact with have recently been arrested. Barnard asked for a remand until the 24th of August. I'm Dries Liebenberg in Durban. 
Let's go back in time to today in 1981. The legendary Jamaican reggae artist Bob Marley died of cancer in a Miami hospital at age 36. Marley sold more than 20 million records throughout his career. That's Africa Unite by legendary Jamaican reggae artist Bob Mali, who died of cancer on this day in 1981. Change Your Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. It's 8.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on double one nine two five kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Now for comments or questions about our show, send us a WhatsApp message on 277-6300-3327. You can also tweet us at Rise Africa or at Channel Africa 1 or send an email at info at channelafrica.org. South African Tourism says an increasing number of African countries have shown interest in participating in the annual Africa's Travel in Daba, which was held in Durban. The gathering is one of the largest tourism marketing events on the African continent. The purpose of the show is to facilitate networking amongst people from various sectors of the travel industry and to showcase the latest tourism-related products. Fanelem Klong reports. As the Africa's travel in Daba held in Durban comes to an end, exhibitors say they are happy that they have been able to find new buyers. The event, which attracted more than 7,000 delegates, including exhibitors, international buyers and media, gives platform to established and emerging tourism businesses to advertise their work. The African Travel Indaba is one of the largest tourism marketing events on the continent's calendar and one of the top three events of its kind on the global calendar. SA Tourism CEO Sisan Jona says the event shows good growth since they extended the exhibition to include other African countries. We took a decision to start off 2017 and have Africa's travel in and make it pan-African. And now we're actually showcasing the entire continent, not just South Africa itself. 
it's important that we want to see more market share being gained by the continent and we'll also get to do well from the perspective. And it's growing from year to year. You know, in our second year, we've seen more interest come from other countries as well. And we want to see more African countries coming through. As I said, some of them that tourism doesn't form a high priority for them, but I think over time they'll get to see the benefit of it coming through. KZN Tourism Acting CEO Pindile Mankwankwa says they want the Indaba to benefit all municipalities in the province and emerging business people. This year's Indaba, for the first time, we have actually uh, streamlined the way we market by selling or rather promoting the various routes, tourism routes within the province. And of course, within each route, there's various municipalities that are part of that route. That makes it easier for them to understand the various experiences um, that tourists can have in our destination. So we showcase the province in its entirety. With close to 2,000 buyers from all over the world who attended the Indaba, some exhibitors say they have already secured new business. I'm a founder of Google Mobile Boutique. This is my first time here, but the business is doing very, very well and I'm planning to come back again and I'm encouraging others to come and do uh, exhibit their work. My name is Peter Nodia and I'm from the Northern Cape. It's been a fantastic year. This has been definitely better than last year. There's much more buyers. The quality of buyers are better. And we feel that our product's definitely going to go out with a bigger bang than last year. Exhibitors from other African countries say they are happy that the Africa's Travel Indaba also gives exhibitors from other countries an opportunity to advertise their businesses. I come from the kingdom of Lesotho. The fact that... um, Indaba has been recently inviting other African countries. It means quite a lot to us because now we have just uh, struck a deal um, with the uh, Spanish tour operators. They said, at the, at, the, at the end of this show, we are going to your country. We are from uh, Cresta Hotels, Botswana. We, uh, we've extended our networks. Uh, we feel that we've benefited immensely. This is not the first time we're coming to Durban Indaba. Uh, we'll definitely will be back next year and into the future. We came our way from Uganda, our first time in Indaba. It has been very good. We have seen some potential buyers coming over our stores. Meanwhile, Etagwini municipality says it believes it has reached the 53 million rent it anticipated will be injected into the city from the 7,000 visitors who attended the Indaba as hotels and PNPs around the city were fully booked. I'm Fanele Mshongo in Deben. A Cameroon's Rojang Gondodang has been re-elected president of the Pan-African Parliament, which is meeting in Midrand outside Johannesburg. Let's take to some of the social media reaction to his re-election. Moses Ziambi says Paul Bia, Roger Gondodang and... Until recently, Isahaya tore Cameroon and the big man mentality. Endless terms and offers. You can also... These are some of the responses. This is a, a response from Moses Beer with regards to um, an earlier a story. Cameroon's Roger Ngododang has been re-elected president of the Pan-African Parliament. Um, you can send us your tweets and just reaction to different stories in our bulletins, um, as well as uh, looking at another story that uh, was big or is big on the continent currently. The African Internet Summit is taking place in Dakar, Senegal. And and Robin Wilton of the International Institute of Communications Technical Outreach Director for Identity and Privacy 
on the Internet Society's trust and identity is of the view that in Nigeria there has been a data protection bill for a number of years, but it's not law yet. Abdul Kudus responds by saying that uh, our budget has also been waiting since November 2017. Remember to hashtag Africa Rise and Shine and Channel Africa One as you tweet so we can read some of your responses on air. You can, you can also send us a WhatsApp message on 277-6300-3327 or an email at info at channelafrica.org. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoku. Good morning, you're listening to Channel Africa. South Africa has promised another 400 million US dollar capital injection to help its struggling state airline meet urgent to financial obligations. SAA has not generated a profit since 2011. It needs the money to help pay debts and prop up the business as it implements a turnaround strategy. The promise of more government cash comes after SAA Chief Executive Vuyane Jarana told Parliament in April that the firm needed the capital injection now. The Treasury said it would follow its normal budgetary process, which entails seeking cabinet approval. A senior international monetary fund official says Nigeria should widen its tax revenue base to finance growth, enhancing upgrades to the nation's infrastructure and social programs. While the administration of Mohamedou Buhari has made progress in addressing issues such as corruption, the West African country needs to pick up as its reform efforts if it wants to boost economic growth. This was said by Adebe Emro Selassie, director of the Africa Department at the Washington Base Fund. The official says Nigeria should also move to a single unified foreign exchange rate. The Federation of Kenya Employers has rubbished the 5% boost to the minimum wage, saying they were not consulted. They accused the government of riding on Labor Day's celebratory mood to slap employers with an additional wage bill, violating wage-setting guidelines. In a joint statement read by FKE Director, the Executive Director, Jacqueline Mugo, said the Federation employers might relocate to neighboring countries with low labor costs. Namibia's president, Hey Gengob, has put measures in place to make sure that it benefits rather than lose from signing the Continental Free Trade Area Agreement. Gengob made the remarks when he met the visiting African Union chair, Musa Faki Mohamed, at State House in the capital, Ventuk. Namibia is expected to sign the Continental Free Trade Agreement in July this year. Namibia signed the Declaration of Intent in March this year. The agreement is expected to remove barriers to trade, such as tariffs and import quotas to allow the free flow of goods and services between African Union member states. Nigeria's government plans to create a powerful energy regulator with the broad oversight of the oil and gas sector, according to draft versions of the sweeping reforms known collectively as the Petroleum Industry Bill. The draft laws posted on the Nigerian legislature's website on April the 30th are the versions intended for the Senate, the Upper House of Parliament. The PIB aims to improve transparency, attract investors, stimulate growth and increase government revenues. 
The US dollar trades at 978 Botswana Pula. It's at 985 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar trades at 357 Brazilian Rail at 6222 Russian Rubble, 6714 Indian Rupee, 635 Chinese Yuan, 1240 to the South African Rand, 73 pence British Pound, 84 cents to the Euro. Gold on $320, Platinum $923 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $77.30 a barrel. It's Channel Africa. Our sports update up next was Figile Lingwati. So Figile, which team is coming through um, to play with Sundance? It's Barcelona. No, no, no. Which team? The A team, the B team, the C team? No, this is Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to pronounce something that has been made, like all the announcement by people. Barcelona and mm-hmm. Sundowns have come to an agreement. They will be playing here next week. Mm-hmm. And that was the signature of La Liga and mm-hmm. Safa, as well as the government centenary uh, organizers, mm-hmm. the Nelson Mandela centenary organizers. You know, just just thinking about it, um, the World Cup is is starting. The, so the football World Cup is starting in Russia in just over a month. And uh, you know, do you think they they're going to take a chance and and uh, you know get some of their players um, um, injured? Yeah, no. You see, you see that. You see, that's the analysis now. From what they wrote and agreed on the paper, it's Barcelona coming against Sundowns. Now, as we analyze, as uh, people, uh, we say speculation yes, and speculation, and and some of those speculations are true. Mm-hmm. You say mm-hmm. uh, Lionel, Lionel Messi is being regarded as one of the best players in the world, and they want to cement that. Mm. They want to cement that, like Argentina, want to cement that with the World Cup mm-hmm. on his cap. Yes. So he can be regarded as one of those alongside um, Diego Maradona. Mm. Now he has to win the World Cup. It, it probably it's very, is, very, very key. Yes. yes. So they, they won't m- risk him playing, getting injured in a friendly match that is promotional with a country that is not heading to the World Cup. And then they lose something that will be forever for Lionel Messi. So Andres Iniesta is again, leaving Again, I ask you, let's go back to my question. Which Barcelona team is going to play against Sundowns next week, Wednesday on the 16th at the FNB Stadium? Let me give you that answer on Monday. <laughs> give us an update. In our sports update, we begin with athletics. South African long jumper Luvo Manyonga, still basking in the glory of winning gold at last month's Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in Australia, returned to China to defend his long jump title at the Shanghai IWAF Diamond League Series on Saturday. Our correspondent, Geshem Nyati, reports. The matchup in the men's long jump competition is not an easy one to make predictions. Jeff Anderson, the 2016 American Olympic champion, is the man to beat as he tries to redeem his career. He has jumped 8.44 meters this year and better than all the other jumpers on the start list, followed by South Africa's Luvo Manyonga, who has jumped 8.41 meters this year. It may not be all that easy for the American. Manyonga is vying for a second win in Shanghai, where he set a Diamond League record of 
8.61 meters last year and is buoyant with a lifetime best of a massive 8.65 meters which stands as the current Africa record. Shangzhou Huang of China and Cuba's teenage sensation Juan Miguel Ecavaria have been talked about and rated as strong opponents. Manyonga will have the company of two other South Africans, Sunet Villon competing in the women's long jump and Reinhard van Rinsberg lining up in the men's 800 metres. Geshom Nyati, Channel of Sports, London. On to football news, the Wales Players Union, FIFPRO, says the well-being and health of footballers must be a priority for global soccer body FIFA as it makes plans for two major new international soccer tournaments. FIFPRO said in a statement that it would be neglecting its duty if it did not look at the impact of players' health of FIFA President Gianni Infantino's ambitious plans for a Global Nations League and a revamped 2014 Club World Cup. FIFA said that it had met representatives from several big European clubs as part of its consultation process. Infantino's proposed Club World Cup would involve expanding it to 24 teams, including 12 from Europe, and staging it every four years, starting from 2021 instead of annually, as happens at present. On to rugby news, junior Springbok coach Shin Ru made six changes to his team for the final UK tour match against England at Six Ways Stadium in Worcester today as he looks to continue testing players' combinations, while at the same time maintaining continuity in selection. The team features a different halfback pairing of fly-half David Kutzar and scrum-half Ruan Kruger. Kutzar replaces Lubabalo Dobela, who took a knock to head against Wales, while Wandi Siles Melane and Rikas Pretorias will start in the midfield. The other changes were on the wing, where David Krill comes in for Sichlen Jezula, who is among the replacements, and at lock, where Ben Jason Dixon returns to starting lineup in place of Ruan Nokia after dropping to the bench against Wales due to illness. The clash marks the team's final warm-up match before the World Rugby Under-20 Championship, which will be hosted in the south of France from the 30th to the 17th of June. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF hit by divisions ahead of elections. And South African protesters say Morocco should stop its occupation of Western Sahara. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagadza and Khomuzo Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1. I'll take us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Stimela with a track titled Whispers in the Deep.